Okay. Well, welcome. Good morning. For those that I haven't met, uh, my name is Matt Morton. I'm the teaching pastor here, and uh, we are thrilled to begin. This is our soft launch week, and so what that means in a nutshell is that uh, we are trying some things out, and one of the things that we uh, are trying out this morning for the first time is the sound system, and uh, one of the things we discovered needs some work before next week is my headset microphone, uh, which worked about 30 minutes ago and, and then stopped working. So I'm going to use this microphone this morning. So if I had known, I would have also prepared a song to sing along with that. Uh, but that's all right. We'll roll with it this morning. I'm going to try to hold my Bible and uh, this microphone at the same time. Uh, but we will continue to uh, talk about the Word of God. We're going to be in the book of Second Timothy this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1. I heard a whoop for Second Timothy over there somewhere. All right. Yeah, Tristan, good. All right. We got one. Second Timothy is where we're going to be. Uh, I want to begin by telling a story. The highest scoring game, some of you may know this, the highest scoring game that Michael Jordan ever played, NBA great Michael Jordan, his highest scoring game happened on March 28, 1990. Uh, his Chicago Bulls were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, it ended up the Bulls won the game 117 to 113. It was a, a nail-biter. It was really close right up to the end. Uh, but Jordan scored 69 points in one game. Now, it's not the most anybody has ever scored in a game, but it was the most he ever did. Uh, he also had 18 rebounds in the same game, so set his record both for points scored and for rebounds, so maybe his best game of his career. So a lot of people who know about Michael Jordan's career know about that game because of how high he scored. But what a lot of people don't remember was that there was also a rookie on the team at the same time by the name of Stacy King. And uh, Stacy King came in just for a little while in the game, and he scored one point uh, compared to Michael Jordan's 69 points. Uh, but after the game was over, when Stacy King, this rookie, was being interviewed by reporters, uh, he said this, and the AP actually uh, reported this quote, I will always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. I love that. I love that quote, and I love the attitude of a guy who, frankly, was not critical to the success of the game. Uh, but he was just glad to play on the team with one of the greats of all time. They could have won the game without his one point. Had he not scored it, they still would have won. Even if he hadn't have been in, somebody else probably could have drawn a foul and shot a free throw. Right? So he wasn't critical necessarily to winning the game, but his attitude is, man, I'm just glad to play on the same team with Michael Jordan. Now, I, I share that story this morning uh, to illustrate something about the body of Christ. And it may not be what you think I'm about to illustrate. I don't share that story to make the point that in the body of Christ, there are some who are Michael Jordan who are 70-point players, and there are some who are one-point players. That's not my point. Uh, I share that story this morning to say this. In the body of Christ, every single one of us is Stacy King. There's really only one player who is needed, uh, and it's not me, it's not you. God could do what he wants to accomplish without any of us. God created the world simply by his words. He saved us from our sin by sending his own son, Jesus, who died in our place and, and rose again. He raised his son 
from the dead, and then he sent his spirit to empower the church for his work. God could do anything he wants without any one of us, or really without any of us at all. So God doesn't need us. Now, I realize that may not be the best way to start a message about why you should participate in the work of the church. God doesn't need you. But there's good news, and that is this. God really wants you, and God really loves you. And the reason that God has called each of us in the body of Christ to be a part of his work is because he knows that we will find the greatest joy in our lives when we are obedient to him and participating in the work he's called us to do. At at Grace Bible Church, at all three now of our campuses, we have always had the mission that why we are here, the reason we exist, is to make disciples of all the nations, just as Jesus commanded his disciples to do in Matthew 28. That is the reason we are here, not only as a church, but if you know Jesus Christ, that is the mission of your life, to make disciples. And God has called each person in here to bring the unique resources he has given you, your story, your spiritual gifts, your talents and abilities, everything you have to participate in that work. And he calls you and me to do it, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. I love what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 10, or John 15, excuse me, verses 10 to 11. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as, as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I love that. Jesus says, I've told you to obey my commands because I love you. And because the Father wants you to experience the fullness of joy and life that he has prepared for those who will follow him. Uh, there are some in this room that you say, you know, I am plugged in. I am using the gifts God has given me in service to the body of Christ, but also in in the community around us to share Jesus with neighbors, with coworkers, with family members. And then there are others that maybe you would say, you know, I don't yet know where I may be called to serve. I don't yet know. And, or maybe you do know and you say, you know what, I feel ill-equipped or I feel afraid or I feel inadequate. Maybe you see uh, somebody like Chris Thompson who was up here earlier making announcements. And you go, man, Chris can make announcements and set up chairs and organize people and he's the ninja pastor and that is not me. And so maybe you think my gifts are less important and maybe uh, there's this perception of there are VIP Christians who will do what God has called us to do and then the rest can relax. But in reality, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, God has called you to participate in the Great Commission. You and I, each of us, are here because God has called us to his purposes. I can remember being in college and hearing Bill Bright speak at one point. Bill Bright is the founder of what is now Crew, what used to be Campus Crusade, an astounding gift of evangelism. And I remember hearing him tell these stories, and it seemed like from his perspective, people would just kind of walk up to him and say, how can I know that my sins are forgiven and I have eternal life? And he'd go, then I shared the gospel, and they prayed right there in the airplane, right? And I would hear these stories and go, who does that happen to? Right? It doesn't happen to me. And I'd think, I don't have that level of gifting, and the temptation would be to think, well, then maybe I should not share the gospel. Maybe I'm not called like he's called. But see, God has not called any person in this room to be somebody else. He's called each of us with the resources that we have 
to contribute however he has provided to fulfill his commission. And if you are in a place where you feel afraid or you feel ill-equipped or you feel inadequate, my answer to that from the scripture, this is a biblical answer, is this, join the club. Because as you read through the scripture, you will see that everybody who God calls, everybody who followed him, everybody who really had an impact for his kingdom in this world was afraid. You look at Moses, you look at Joshua, you look at Gideon, you look at Isaiah, you look at the prophets, look at Peter and the apostles. All of them had these moments where they said, I am not the right person because I'm sinful. I'm afraid. I might be rejected. I might fail. I don't have the gifts somebody else has. Uh, We're going to look at Uh, briefly, the story of one man this morning who felt like many of us often do. Uh, His name is Timothy. And Timothy, like all of us, felt often that he was inadequate to do what God had called him to do. Timothy was a young man whom Paul had stationed in the city of Ephesus to be a, a pastor over the church there and to share the gospel and to make disciples who would then make disciples and reach the community of Ephesus for the gospel. And so there's these two letters, First and Second Timothy, that Paul wrote probably toward the end of his life. Second Timothy, the one we're looking at this morning, probably Paul's final letter that he wrote before his death. And in both of these letters, all the way through, over and over and over again, Paul says to Timothy, don't be afraid. Be courageous. Use your gifts. Don't let people look down on you because you're young. Over and over, he talks to Timothy and he says, you, Timothy, seem to be a guy who is afraid, who feels ill-equipped, who feels inadequate, and I'm telling you, God has given you everything you need, and because he loves you and wants you to participate in his purposes for your life, he has called you to this task. So step forward. Um, As we launch a new campus, I thought the first message that I want to communicate is that each of us is here this morning because God has called us to take a place in the body of Christ, a place of service, a place of ministry, and a place of impact. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life, his spirit is in you, and God has called you to participate. Now, what Paul does with Timothy is he shares with Timothy some particular resources that God has given to say this. You are already fully equipped to do God's work. You don't need a special class. You don't need a special degree. You don't need any special skill set. The skill sets and the story and the resources God has given you are sufficient to start. And maybe later you need a special class, and so you take one. But to start participating in God's work... You're fully equipped. You have everything you need. So let's look at the resources that Paul tells Timothy that he has. We're going to look at 2 Timothy in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. The first thing that Paul tells Timothy is you have a unique story. Timothy had a pretty unique story. If you read about Timothy's life through the book of Acts and then through First and Second Timothy, here's what you find. Timothy uh, was born to a Jewish mother and a Greek father. 
Uh, His grandmother and mother probably trusted Christ through Paul's ministry, uh, but his father was likely not a Christian. So Timothy comes from this mixed background, both spiritually and ethnically. And I imagine uh, throughout his life, particularly as he was young, that at times was challenging for Timothy and to feel like he was caught between two worlds. But here, at the very beginning, when Paul is wanting to exhort him to step up and use his gifts, you know, he says, I remember this faith that you had from childhood that came from your grandmother and came from your mother. Timothy, your story is significant. Now think about this. Timothy is placed in Ephesus. Those of you who have read the book of Ephesians may know that one of the central issues that faced the Ephesian church was that Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. And Timothy, with his unique background, is perfectly positioned to draw Jew and Gentile together, as Paul says in Ephesians, to create one new man under the banner of Jesus Christ. Timothy's background, Timothy's family, Timothy's past was no accident. It was not something God had wasted. It was not something God could not foresee. Instead, Timothy's background uniquely positioned him to do the job he had been called to do right there in Ephesus. And so Paul right away reminds him, Timothy, you have a very unique story that God wants to use. Uh, So do you. So do I. You have a story of faith. Whatever it is that your family story is, whatever it is that your history up to this point is, whatever it is uh, that are the choices you've made in your life up to this point, God will take right where you are because nobody in this room is you. Nobody else in this room is you. And nobody else in this room has the unique combination of a story that God has put together to place you right where he wants you to be. And so that is why each one of us is called to participate in God's work. When I was younger, a kid, I at times felt a little self-conscious about my own testimony. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I trusted Christ when I was very young, when I was about five years old through the ministry of men and women like the ones serving our kids this morning. Um, I was never like a Satanist, you know, or a drug runner or anything like that. I didn't have anything, you know, really edgy to talk about when I talked about the gospel. And so I felt a little self-conscious about that when people would say, share your story, share your testimony. And I thought, why is my testimony that compelling? Right? I grew up in a, a really good, healthy home. I trusted Jesus when I was young. I don't even really remember very well what it was like to have this before moment of darkness and shame and pain. Right? When you're four, you're just not thinking about those sort of philosophical issues in your life. And then uh, I was reading a book several years ago. Uh, This is by Doug Cecil, who was one of my seminary professors. And the book is about evangelism. He's got a chapter in here about telling your story as part of sharing the gospel. And in this book, he talks about a seminary student that he knew who was married also to a woman who both of them had trusted Christ when they were very small, when they were about six. And uh, this young man said, uh, Neither of us had been neglected, molested, abused, raped, addicted, in prison, wanted, or adulterous. And even if we had, it would have been when we were Christians. What a bum deal. But then this young man got involved in a prison ministry. And he said, you know, when I got involved in this prison ministry, I thought, 
Uh, I need to leave the testimony sharing to other guys who have had rougher stories than mine, who came out of the same type of background as these inmates. And so he said, I I would hold back and I would not share my story. He said, until one day when two inmates suddenly asked him, well, what about you? Well, what do you mean? He responded, what about me about what? What about you with this Jesus stuff? They asked. So he took his breath and shared his story. They both trusted Christ in their cells that night. The next time Jim saw them, he asked them what happened. This is what they said. You came from a family that had everything. Your parents were married. You lived in a great house. You had a dad that loved you enough to read you stories. You had everything, yet you still felt like you needed Jesus. And that blew us away because we always figured that the only people who ever turned to Jesus were those that were just hoping for a way out or a quick fix or something like that. And then you said that you had been walking with Jesus for all these years and you're still doing this deal. We knew that if you started like that and had been living with him all this time and you are here today still walking with the Lord, then he must be real. And I loved reading that story because he said after that, he always looked at telling his story differently. Because every story in this room is a story of the grace of God. Yours, mine, every person. And so God has called each of us to take the stories that we have and share them with those who do not yet know Jesus Christ and share the background and the experience that we've had since following Jesus and bring those to bear on the task of making disciples. Um, I was also a mechanical engineering major in college, and people are always kind of surprised when they find out that combination of things in my life. I was mechanical engineering. I was not very good at it, to be honest with you. So I started praying about where the Lord might have me lead and found that uh, even ever since I was small, I had sensed the Lord moving me toward ministry. I knew that even in college. But I finished this mechanical engineering degree and then graduated, uh, went on to seminary, and eventually came back to grace. And I always, uh, in those early years of ministry, thought, why was it that I had to go through the pain of four years of engineering. Uh, But then as I began to serve in college ministry, I would often have almost this exact conversation. A student would come in and say, I heard that you were an engineering major, and then you switched over to ministry. And I'm an engineering major, and I'm thinking about what God may have for my life. Can you walk me through your decision-making process? And I learned that God doesn't waste those moments in your life. I also learned there's a lot of unhappy engineering majors out there. (laughs) But you have a unique story. And our prayer is that as you come into Grace Creekside, that that unique story will be a part of our story as we seek to make disciples. So God has resourced you with a unique story. Secondly, he has resourced you uh, with spiritual gifts. I do want to, on unique story, one passage before I move on to the next point that is significant as I've thought about this issue of story is Acts chapter 17. From one man... God made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they would live. So they would search for God and perhaps grope around for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God has determined where you would live, when you would be born, and none of that is an accident. All of it is designed to be a part of his story, to draw men and women to himself. So you have a unique story. Secondly, God has given spiritual gifts to his people. Spiritual gifts. We'll look at verse 6. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
uh, Timothy had been given some kind of a spiritual gift, probably that he had received when Paul commissioned him for ministry in Ephesus. And as you see in the early church, especially in Acts, they would often lay hands on someone and the spirit would come in a mighty way. And, and Timothy had received this spiritual gift, probably of teaching or pastoring or something along those lines. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to rekindle it. I want you to use it again. It seems like out of fear or out of some sort of uh, fear of failure or maybe being ill-equipped, Timothy had actually stopped using his gifts. And Paul says, I want you to rekindle that gift. God has placed you here for a particular reason at a particular moment. And the gift you have, even though, Timothy, you're young, even though you're afraid, take that spiritual gift God has given and use it for the edification of the body of Christ. And again, every single person who knows Jesus Christ has a gift that God has given to use in his service. Maybe you're an encourager. Maybe you're an evangelist. Maybe you're a teacher or a leader or a servant. But whatever it is, you've been gifted for God's service. And so God can take your story and your giftedness and use you in a way that nobody else in this room can exactly be used to fulfill his purposes. There are gifts that are meant to be shared to build up the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, it was he who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. Your gifts are wanted because God gave them to you to serve the church and fulfill his great commission. Some gifts you give to people just to keep for themselves, right? If you were a child and you always had that Aunt Louise or whatever that would give you underwear for Christmas, right? That's an individual gift, not meant to be shared. But then there are other gifts that are meant to be shared. If you invited me to your home and I brought over a family-sized bag of tortilla chips and a large tub of homemade salsa and I said, here you go, I would expect you to share. Uh, If you took that and you ate it all to yourself, outwardly, I would smile. Inwardly, I would rage, right? Because that is a gift that is meant to be distributed and shared. The gifts God has given you and me are meant to be not hoarded, not used for personal gain, but shared with the body of Christ so men and women can hear the good news that Jesus died and rose again so we can have eternal life, so we can know God, so we can experience the joy that he has for us. I remember a college student a number of years ago telling me, he he showed up to our college ministry and he said, do you know of anybody that needs help moving? And I said, I don't at the moment, but I can certainly let you know if I do. And he said, that's great. He goes, that is the one place in life where I really excel, is moving furniture. I said, fantastic, because most people don't feel that way. And so you will have lots of opportunity, right? It may be that you're here and you don't know where you're gifted. It may be you look around and you see others that seem very gifted in various areas, and you really don't know yet where God has gifted you And what I would encourage in that regard, then, is uh, simply begin to obey. So read the Word of God, get to know Him, 
uh, begin to share the gospel, begin to encourage, begin to serve here, connect with a small group, do those things that constitute obedience to the Lord, and just begin serving somewhere. And you may serve somewhere for a couple of weeks or a semester or a year, and you go, man, this isn't quite it. But there may be aspects of where you serve that you go, that really connects with my passions and desires. And it really connects with my abilities. And so you may move to another area of ministry and over a period of time, through trial and error, through prayer, through the input of other wise friends and family, you begin to figure out, here's how God has uniquely called and gifted me for service. So don't wait until you know exactly where you fit. People have been asking all along as we've been about to start Creekside, uh, what do you guys need? Where do you guys need help? And my answer, my standard answer has been everywhere. We need help everywhere. And I'm not exaggerating. If you want to do it, the great thing about a church that is set up in a school is that we really, we need help everywhere, every week, from everybody. And so if you want to use your gifts to edify the body of Christ, I encourage you, sign up this morning for a spot to serve. Go out into your community over the next couple of weeks with your neighbors, with your coworkers. Share the gospel and tell people that there's a place where they can come and worship him and hear from his word. And begin to take a part in fulfilling the Great Commission. So you have a unique story, you have spiritual gifts, and then uh, thirdly, the Holy Spirit. God himself uh, dwells within those who know Jesus. Verse 7 of uh, chapter 1. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. If you know Jesus this morning, the very spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you. Paul says it's not a spirit of timidity. In the Greek language, that word has the idea of cowardice, actually. It's not a spirit uh, that makes us shrink back in fear and say, I cannot do the task God has called me to do. But instead, it's a spirit of power and of love and of discipline. Those three words, one is power. The idea is that there is no power in heaven or earth that is stronger than God. So if God lives in you, there's nothing to fear, and there's nothing he calls you and me to that we cannot do through the power of his spirit. Romans chapter 8, Moreover, if the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, The one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through his spirit who lives in you. Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead. The most powerful display of God's glory in history, that same spirit lives in you. Spirit of love that reminds us again that God has called us to know him because he loves us. Jesus died and rose again because he loves us, and he wants us to participate in his work because he loves us. And so that spirit of love lives in us and then moves through us to communicate the gospel and to make disciples. And then discipline. It's a spirit that says we won't give up, we won't stop kindling our gifts, we won't stop using them until the day Christ returns or takes us home because he has given us a spirit of perseverance And so our prayer for each person here as well as for Grace Creekside is that we will be a place that continues to serve Jesus and to make disciples for decades to come, even after all of us in this room 
are gone or until Christ returns. God has given you and me the very gift of God living in us to empower us and equip us to do his will. Uh, When our oldest daughter was about two or three, uh, oftentimes, like most kids at night, she would become afraid of the dark or afraid of noises. And so uh, we would just tell her, you know, just repeat to yourself, God is always with me. God is always with me. And so she would begin to get into this habit of saying that God is always with me. And I remember uh, one night we were staying at my parents' house, and the room she was sleeping in was next to a bathroom, and the pipes were between that bathroom and her room so that when you flushed the toilet, it made this loud noise in the wall between those two rooms. And it was scary to hear if you didn't know what was going on. And so we had reminded her, God is always with me. And I was walking past one evening and I heard that toilet flush and I heard that little voice go, God is always with me even when the toilet flushes, right? And she was saying it over and over and over. God is always with me even when the toilet flushes. And uh, it wasn't too long after that that we were at the table and at, at like three years old, she said this to me. She goes, even when we can't see God, he's right there watching over us. He promises us in the Bible that he will always take care of us. He's got the whole world in his hands. I was like, you take the mic next Sunday, right? It's yours. But as we grow older, we imagine the obstacles to obedience to be bigger, and we often imagine God to be smaller, don't we? And so we fail to do all God is calling us to do because we're afraid or we don't believe he's capable of moving through us like he's promised. All right, what's the last promise Jesus made to his disciples? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He sent his spirit to empower us for his work. So you and I are fully equipped to do what God has called us to do, and he's called us to do it because he loves us, he wants us to know him deeply, and he wants us to experience the fullness of joy that comes from being a part of his work. So a few applications then as we close this morning. Just some real practical suggestions as we start Creekside. First of all, pray. Be in prayer for what God is doing here and around the world as a part of uh, Grace Creekside. Spend time in prayer for how God may want to use you, for how he may want to be speaking to you um, to use your gifts. Pray for the men and women in our communities that they would hear the gospel. Pray that he would show us as a church what our unique place and mission is in this community. All right, so spend time in prayer. Secondly, connect. Uh, We're going to have opportunities this fall for you to connect with a group where you can learn the Word of God, where you can spend time in prayer, where you can connect with other believers. I encourage you, don't let that opportunity go by to connect and grow with men and women who can help you also understand where are your gifts? Where can you serve? Where can you be a part of God's work? And then uh, thirdly, uh, go ahead and serve somewhere. There's, like I said, there's more opportunities than you could probably imagine at this point. Out in the hallway after the service, there's going to be opportunities for you to volunteer for an area of service. Just step in and begin to serve somewhere, knowing that as you do, God will use your story, your gifts, use the spirit within you to do his work through this church. It may be that you're here this morning and uh, you don't yet know God through Jesus, And for you, the first step is simply to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of salvation. That you have disobeyed God and apart from his intervention, you'll spend an eternity separated from him. 
But God intervened and gave Jesus, his only son, to die in your place, and he rose again so you and I can have eternal life, so we can know him, so his spirit can live within us, and so we can participate in all he's called us to do. And so wherever you are, kind of in your journey of deciding how you're going to pursue Jesus Christ and how you're going to serve, I I really want to encourage you, just take that very next step and know that although God doesn't need us, he wants us to participate in his work, and he's placed each of us here for that purpose. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word, and we thank you for the challenge that we see this morning, that you have called us and equipped us to do your work and to do your will. And uh, we don't even deserve the privilege of sharing in your work, and yet you have granted it to us because you love us, because you created us to know you and to obey you. And so I pray we would. I pray, Father, that this semester we would draw closer to you. I pray that we would have an impact here in South College Station for your kingdom, as well as around the world. Father, we're thankful for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.